It's a great day to be a Tar Heel. Heck, it's a great week to be a Tar Heel. Why? The people on your screen, the ladies and gentlemen on your screen, are your 2023 field hockey national champions. Five in the last six years, first under first year head coach Aaron Matson. We got a lot to talk about on this show, but it would be remiss if we didn't start off with this outstanding team on your screen. My name is Nick Delahanty. The guy who is actually below me to enter the show is Jordan Falls. Jordan, how's it going? It's good, man. Uh, great day to celebrate a national championship. Absolutely. And if you happen to miss the game, go to Keeping It Heel. Check out Jordan's recap. Literally, he puts it all into perspective for you, gives you a great glimpse of what happened in this game. Tar Heels go on to win 2-1 to one in shootout. Let me tell you, Jordan knows this. I had a wedding on Sunday. I couldn't watch the game live, so it was eating me alive. Jordan was um, nice enough to send me text message updates while I was waiting for Mass to begin. We're not going to get to that, that I was worried about that in church. But we will get to the point of, I did come home on Sunday night and watch this game. And two things that you said really stood out to me before I even watched it. Number one, the first half was a little bit sluggish. It was like, yeah, you know what? There wasn't much action. But then in that second half, it, it started to become a nail butter. Even though I knew the outcome, I felt like I didn't know the outcome, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I kind of blew your phone up there for a little bit uh, <laughs> during your uh, wedding so that you had to attend. But uh, it was back and forth. It was uh, it reminded me a little bit, from a football perspective, a little bit of the Duke Carroll game last weekend in football where it was back and forth where you thought Carroll was going to lose and then you thought we were going to win and then you got in overtime you thought Northwest was going to win and, and – and then Carolina went in a shootout, and it's only the third shootout ever in NCAA national championship history. And, and of course, the Turtles were a part of it. Uh, it was definitely a very energetic game, and, and to get to play it at Karen Sheldon Stadium probably helped uh, more than people realize for a home field perspective. Absolutely. And you got to give Tar Heel Nation a lot of credit because they showed out. With every picture you saw, every video, there was Tar Heel people loud and proud and that's the kind of atmosphere that makes carolina so special it doesn't matter what the sport is the fans will come and will support the team and this team was very well deserving of that you know from hex goal to win it to some of the key saves that were made in this game and you could just point to so many different aspects of this team but of course she's not going to want us to say this but the storyline has to be Aaron Matson, who is the most decorated field hockey player in college history. And, you know, a lot of people, including us, think that she's the greatest of all time in that field. And what she was able to accomplish on the field, her story is remarkable of how she got to this point. First-year head coach, and now she's not only a national champion as a player, but she has led this program to another title as a coach. Yeah, uh, she even said it in the post-game press conference. She doesn't want it to be the Aaron show. Well. I hate to tell her, but it is the Aaron show. Uh, I mean, she she won four national championships in five years as a player, uh, becomes the first player or first person to ever win consecutive national titles as a player and a coach, becomes the youngest coach to win a title. Uh, I mean, and, yeah, most of this team is similar to last year's is in the standpoint that, yeah, some of the players were Coach Sheldon's players, but then – 
a huge impact player in this game was goalkeeper Matty Khan, who was a graduate transfer. And that that's uh, a testament to Matson. And uh, Khan made four huge saves there in the second half and uh, even twice in double overtime. Uh, Northwestern had two-on-one uh, fast breaks or whatever you, call, whatever you want to call them. And, and she stepped up and made two saves that could have won the game for the Wildcats and uh, then had a, had uh, saves in uh, the shootout and then in the survivor period uh, that allowed Carolina to stay alive to give Kylie Hett the chance to win the game, who had previously missed a goal in the shootout in double overtime or missed a goal in the double overtime on penalty shot that would have won the game. So uh, just overcoming a lot of adversity, adversity don't, don't get down yourself. Heck, uh, stepped up went two for two in the penalty shots and, and, and the game winner in the shootout period. So overall, I mean, yeah, it, the Matson show is what it is. I mean, and everybody's talking about it. It's on the athletic. It's on a uh, USA today have piece. Uh, CNN uh, had an article on her. Everybody's talking about Aaron Matson. She's only 23 years old. I think I saw a really good tweet was she came and rent a car yet and she's won five national championships. So <laughs> if you want a national championship, I think Aaron Madison can get it for you in any sport or anything you put her up to. And she, uh, we've heard the story last year. She went to uh, athletic director Bubba Cunningham, said she won the job. He said, hey, go win a national championship and then come back. And she went, won a national championship and said, all right, I'm back. <laughs> I mean, so anything you put this this girl up to, she can do. And uh, she's a winner and she's going to win. And uh, I don't think this will be her only national championship in Chapel Hill as a coach. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to bring up that story. That's just an incredible one. You know, before her last year as a player even got underway, she had aspirations of taking over this program. And she's very close to Coach Shelton. And she understands what this program's about. And for if you're Bubba Cunningham and you're looking at this and you tell this 22-year-old at the time, you know, go win a national championship, then we'll talk about it. And she goes out and does just that. You know, I feel like the hire kind of slapped him in the face and, and in a, in the best way possible because Aaron Matson is what makes Carolina so special. It's people like her that are the epitome of what the university represents. And even as a coach now, a 23-year-old with such grace and poise and humbleness, listen, if I was her and I had five national championships at the age of 23, I definitely would not be as humble as her. But you listen to her speak, and it's all about the players and her coaching staff and the university. She gets it. And that's what I think is going to be such a big thing moving forward is because now she has that resume as a coach, and people are going to want to play for her. You know, she's the greatest of all time on the field, and she's making that mark as a great coach early on. Yeah, she says it. She has a lot to learn as a coach. Obviously, you're 23 years old. You're 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 new to this, but everything she did in year one, she did as close to perfection as you could. And that's just incredible in itself. Yeah. I mean, they lost one or two games along the way, but I mean, they have an undefeated season, but they got to where they need to be and learned along the way, like you said. And, and she's been there as a player. So she knows what it feels like as a coach and a player now. I mean, uh, three years ago or two and a half years ago in the 2020 national championship that's played in 2021 because of COVID they hosted a national championship at Karen Sheldon stadium again. And, and she hit the game winner in overtime to beat Michigan. So she knows what it's like to win in dramatic fashion. And uh, she knows what Kylie Heck 
felt when she made the game winning shot and how exciting that moment is not only for Het but the team as a whole and and to be sure to step away from that spotlight and let the players have their moment is just shows how mature she is at, even at 23 as a head coach and knows what is important uh from a coaching perspective and that's why players are going to love to play for her. um like you said not only is she the best as a player but she's proven she knows what ha has what it takes to coach now two things that I, I just want to bring up about this field hockey season. Number one, I did see some people saying, well, you know what? She was inherited a great team. Yes, she was, but she was not inherited herself on the field. Like that's yeah. what people don't understand. That's she was elite at what she did. It takes multiple people to replace the production that she put onto the field. So to say that it, it was handed to her, it was not. Number two, do you know how difficult it had to be for a player from last year's team taking over as the head coach, coaching players that she played multiple seasons with. That's a very difficult thing, but never once did you see this team go at her. They all played for her and you saw it. They were hugging her after the game in the press conference. They're all cheering her on. They genuinely love her and would do anything they could for her. They would run through a wall for her. Kind of like we would for coach Banghar as we talk about all the time, but you know, you just got that feel like, it didn't matter that she was one year removed from playing. They respected her as their coach, and they bought into what she was selling, and this is your result. Greatness came from it. Yeah, uh, I can't imagine how difficult that is to uh, go from a player to a coach in the same, in basically three months is what she did. And I mean, you mentioned those were her teammates. Those were her friends. She was probably doing stay, studying for classes with those, with those teammates and, uh maybe going to parties or whatnot and then to step back and separate yourself from that player to that coach it has to be incredibly difficult and because at that point you're not their friend anymore you're their coach and you still have to have that fine line and to do that it, it takes a special person and Matson is a, a special person to say the least so uh congrats to field hockey for a national championship and uh their 11th and fifth and sixth years they are in good hands. That's for sure. A young head coach, a bright future ahead, and the dominance in Chapel Hill continues on Karen Shelton Field. Now, before we get into our weekend of other sports, let's talk a little bit about some other Olympic sports that I'm going to turn it over to you to get us started with that. Yeah, i uh, got two other Olympic sports still playing their postseason. Uh, women's soccer advanced to the Elite Eight. They've had some struggles this year. Um, as far as not scoring when they needed to, and that resulted in some ties and uh, resulted in a little bit of a lower seed than UNC women's soccer is otherwise used to. But uh, they've advanced to the Elite Eight. They beat Alabama over the weekend and uh, will play at number one BYU on Friday night uh, at 8 p.m. on ESPN+. Plus. So women's soccer has a dynasty. We know that. They, it's been a while since they won a national championship. Uh, I think uh, 10 years, 11, going on 11 years now. So Anson Dorrance, another fantastic coach at Carolina and trying to get back there, but they'll have a tough challenge against uh, number, the number one Cougars on Friday night, uh, 8 p.m. And that, that is on ESPN+. Plus. And then on the other side, men's soccer, they made a strong push there toward the late, of the late, late end of the season and beat Wake Forest and Syracuse to get ACC championship. They advanced to the Sweet 16, and they are hosting Hofstra on Sunday at 5 p.m. in Chapel Hill. So uh, that'll be a chance for them to go to the Elite Eight. But both soccer programs are doing uh, great in the postseason and uh, extended their 
season just a little bit longer over the weekend. You know, you always want to be that team that gets hot at the right time. And that's what I feel like the women's soccer team starting to do. You know, you mentioned it. They had a couple of ties, a couple of miscues. You know, you look at it early on. They learned from that, and they're starting to play better. Yes, it's a big test on Friday, on this weekend. It's not going to be easy. But if you take anything from that magical basketball run in 2022, anything could happen any given day, especially come tournament time. And if you're the hot team at that time, great things could come from it. So I think that both teams have a good shot to maybe play some spoiler. People didn't expect them to be this far. You know, they got nothing to lose at this point. Yeah, that gap in women's soccer has closed drastically since Carolina was dominant in those early 2000s, late 90s era. And uh, it's shown that the gap is closed. I mean, not won a national championship in 10 years. So, But they're still Carolina, and Anson Dorrance is still a phenomenal coach. So uh, nobody will be sleepwalking on the Tar Heels, and BYU certainly won't be. But they have the talent to win Friday night and uh, upset the number one Cougars for sure. And then – Men's soccer, I think, is definitely getting hot at the right time uh, with their run ACC championship, ACC tournament. So we'll see how those two teams do and uh, keep winning. We'll, we'll keep you updated uh, next week. It'd be very nice to have their pictures on the screen in front of us for our uh, start of our show. I Listen, I would love to have national champions on the screen the whole time. Heck, I would keep Aaron Matson and the field hockey team on there. But you know what? I wanted to show our pretty faces, too. The people, the people want what the people want. Aaron Masson has uh, I saw that Aaron Masson has has as many national championships in her six years as a player and a coach as NC State does. So that's always great to brag about. She's trying to start start some bad hey, stuff. It's, hey, it's hate week. Oh, so Jordan, that's a great transition. <laughs> Speaking of hate, um, we hate the outcome of S- Saturday night's football game between the Clemson Tigers and the North Carolina Tar Heels and. There is a lot to digest. I feel like I say that every week. There's a lot to digest from football because I feel like we're on an emotional roller coaster. Carolina goes down. They lose by 11. But listen, I wrote about it on Keeping a Heel. I got a lot of heat for it because my title of my article was, well, you can't beat the referees. Now, let me explain my logic from that point. I feel like the people need to know this, okay? At the time, yes, Omarion Hampton's first fumble of the year was all on him. You cannot blame anybody for it. Okay. That was big. His second fumble. I truly thought that illegal touching was a thing. If you're out of bounds, I didn't think you could be out of bounds and punch the ball. Every other play in football, if you're out of bounds and don't reestablish, they call something on you. It seems like they call it like three times a week. This, this play. No legal. Great play by the corner. You know, good job for him. But that's a big swing in that game. Then Cade Klubnik becomes the first player in football history to score a touchdown without getting in the end zone. And that was only aided by the fact that they essentially gave them 30 yards on a tackle by Don Chapman. Yeah, he threw him a little bit, but you it's can't football. tackle. It's football. And then Cedric Gray goes in and he has his hand up trying to block a pass. and. His elbow hits Klubnik's head. And what do they call? Personal foul, roughing the passer. So, yes, that was a big swing. And instead of going into the half at 7-7, it was now 14-7 Clemson with them having the ball and all the momentum. Uh, I don't know where to start. We'll start with the Wiggins play. 
because that play is the one that I think frustrates me the most. First of all, great play by Wiggins. Nate, he's a first-round corner. He'll be a first-round pick. He earned himself a lot of money on that play. Just the hustle, the speed, everything. But, like you said, that was my first reaction. In every other instance in football, you have to be in bounds. You can't go out of bounds and come back in. If a receiver comes goes out of bounds and comes back in, he can't touch the ball. On a punt, the punt gunner cannot go out of bounds and come back in and make a tackle. So why on defense can a guy go out of bounds and come back in to make a tackle or play on the ball? I don't understand why that is allowed. But if that's the rule, then so be it. Hampton, again, he he might have let up a little bit, but he's got to hold the ball. That's that's just a classic football play. Guys punch out the ball from behind. And, again, Carolina got the wrong end of bad bounces. Not only the 50-50 efficient calls, but that ball came out at the one. If it just bounces at the one, it's Carolina's ball on the one-yard line. Or if Wiggins touches the ball at the one, from what from how it's been explained to me, that would have been illegal touching. But because Hampton had the ball and possession was in control, there's no such thing as illegal touching in that situation. So either as long as the ball just stays on the one and either goes out or Wiggins touches at the one, Carolina's ball at the one-yard line. Carolina goes up 14-7. At the very least, you're at 14-14 at the half. But – Carolina gets a, it's an oblong-shaped ball. It just bounces funny ways, and it bounced out, became a touchback. The rough and the passer. The rule is forcible contact to the head, and he grazed his helmet. That was he, soft. That's soft. The play, the Don Chapman play, the receiver was still going forward. His forward progress had not even been stopped. We're not supposed to tackle anymore. Like, and then, the and let's just add, wait, just add to that. Remember, this same Carolina team could not tackle, they right. physically could not tackle, right? And then, after the rough and the passer call, and I get screenshots are different than real live time in football, but there is a picture where Rucker is has his head backwards being held, and it wasn't the first or the only time it happened Saturday, and it's not the first or only time it's happened all year. Seems like Rucker cannot get a call to save his life. And we're looking through it, through it with Carolina Blue wins. I get it. But the ACC officiating has been awful all year. Ask Duke fans last weekend how they felt about it. Ask Carolina fans how they felt about it against Virginia. Ask Miami fans how they felt against Carolina or Georgia Tech. I don't think you can ask a single ACC fan how they feel about the officiating, and they will say, yeah, it's great. It's terrible. It's got to be fixed. I don't know what the, what the solution is, but they have to figure out a way to get it fixed. Yeah, you know, and, and that's one of the biggest misconceptions about us saying things about the officiating. We're not saying it just because of us. Like, on our show last week, you heard me. I said a couple of times, Duke was on the wrong side of some bad calls. That Bryson Nesbitt catch shouldn't have been a catch. That should have gone the other way. So when you're looking at it from that grand perspective, you're you're saying to yourself, you know, it's everybody. It's not just us, but we're calling it out when it's on us because it's affecting us. Like that's what we're here to talk about. So well, we see it more too. I mean, yeah, we, you're we looking it at it. You're looking at it, and like, I mean, the illegal hands to the face. I even tweeted it. Cedric Gray got was injured on the play because he got hurt. He got illegal hands to the face, and Carolina went through a stretch where in two games. 
I think it was between Miami and Virginia, they were called for illegal hands to the face, I think, about six times. Legit. And they're like, that's the rule. Well, just, all, all I'm asking for is consistency. If you want to call it, call it, but call it both ways and call it consistent throughout the year. We don't need to be changing week to week. And that's the frustrating part with all this is that it's one week it's this rule, one week it's this rule, one week it's this way. Carolina gets called for holding at Virginia and against Georgia Tech, and then Rucker can't get called. And it just – it sucks. And it sucks that Carolina's on the wrong end of it. Again, Carolina made – shot themselves in both arms and both legs on Saturday night. You can't fumble the ball twice inside the red zone. You can't drop an interception in the first quarter. I mean, clear – I mean, should have been an interception. Might have should have been a pick six. Um, in, our, in our keys of the game on keeping a heel, we said win the turnover battle. Carolina did not win the turnover battle. You, you can't do things like that. So, it is what it is. Uh a lot of missed opportunities, and it just it just adds salt to the wound when when you have to overcome bad officiating too. Yeah, and you know what? Early on in that game, and I want to hear your thoughts on this. Am I wrong to say that Carolina outplayed Clemson at least through the first quarter and a half per se? I think Carolina out one hundred percent outplayed Clemson through that first quarter and a half, and I think that transitions to our next segment, which is talking about how Carolina wears down in the third and fourth quarters. I feel like it just it's becoming more evident the later we go in the season. It's been a problem. It was a problem last year. They got tired in the, in November. It's starting to become a problem now. They're getting tired in November. We saw it at Georgia Tech. They were tired in the fourth quarter at Duke, or against Duke. They gave up three straight touchdowns. They're getting worn down. And I believe Greg Barnes from Inside Carolina not, even point, not only pointed out it's a defensive problem, it's an offensive problem. Their yards per play are going down in the fourth quarter. And so that that's a problem that – I don't know if it's a strength coach issue. I don't know if it's not a, a lack of substitution. I feel like it's more the latter, where it is a lack of substitution. Um, Gene Chizit said today that uh, got asked about playing guys 90 snaps, multiple guys 90 snaps, and not subbing. And and his answer was uh, they did a poor job of subbing and they need to be better. And my question is, it's the final week of the season. So you've been saying you need to be better at subbing since week four against Pittsburgh. So when are you going to start subbing? I think Amani uh, Amani Campbell played the first two drives, and I didn't see him on the field the rest of the game. Uh, I don't I don't understand how you can keep saying we did a poor job of subbing. We'll try to do better next week. It's the last week of the season at this point. Uh, I mean, I, I don't have an answer there, but if you don't start subbing, that's why guys were starting to wear down. And Cedric Grayson say things like, "I don't want to come out of the game. You have to drag me off." That's why you have coaches to monitor that thing, monitor those things. You got to pull him off the field and say, hey, man, you're starting to slow down. Your sprint speed's not as high. We, we need to get you a breather, whether you realize it or not. And that's what the coaches are there for, and the coaches aren't doing their job. You know what? I've been thinking about this problem. It keeps me up at night. I have gray hairs because of it. And I'm starting to think back to the preseason where we heard about them rave about the depth on this defense. and. They talked about it a lot, that we had a lot of it, but where is it? Let's go to look at the secondary. Now with Elijah Huzzy out, that secondary is depleted, like depleted. I, I don't even know if they have enough healthy bodies to play corner. Like, that's yeah. where they are at this point. You got a former running back in the secondary. Yeah, like they are so depleted. And then you look at linebacker, Gray and Eccles. 
Campbell plays a little bit sparingly. And defensive line is probably where you would say, okay, they do sub a little bit, but Bo Atkinson could play more. Yeah, Rutgers playing 85 snaps a game. That that's that's unheard of. You, you can't do that. They're probably top five in the country. I think Huzzy, Gray, Eccles, and Rucker are top five in the country in snaps played. Look at Clemson's got look at Clemson's guys and see how many snaps they're playing. It's probably like a third of the snaps. You want to want well, they probably have double. They they probably also have double the depth. Yeah, but they're not going around saying we have depth and they're not using it. We're going around saying we well, have yeah, depth that's and not why. using it. Like, and here's another uh, interesting stat: uh, Brian Barber on tr- Twitter. First five games versus FBS teams, we allowed 19 points per game, allowed over 30 points once. The last five games, 37 points per game allowed, and all five teams have scored 30 plus. We're gassed. You're clearly. You can say we're not gassed, and the coaches can say we're not gassed. The stats, stat numbers don't lie. Stats say you're gassed, and at that point, you have to sub. I mean, these guys, and if they're not, and they're not practicing throughout the week, there's no way. Cedric Gray even said during the game he doesn't feel it, but on Monday and Tuesday he he can't do anything, and so you're not getting no practice, no reps through the week. You can't continuously go through a cycle. It was a problem last year. And at something's got to change. I, I don't know how you get to change other than recruit more depth. But they, they've they said they have the depth. So where is it? I'm still looking for it. I really am. <laughs> I think and they think are about too. It. I, I think they are too. But think about this too, right? Let's go to the offense for a minute. There's been no mention of Kobe Pesor. Not one. Yeah. I mean, you got freshman wide receivers. They're not, Chris Culliver, Dot Chapman, like they're not using – or, yeah, they're not using those guys on uh, on offense at all, receiver. We've rarely – we've not seen a whole lot of British Brooks on uh, at running back. It's been all Hampton as a workhorse, uh, which is fine, but you got to give Hampton at least a little bit of a break. The one time we saw Brooks on Saturday, they were on a six-yard hitch route to him on third and six and throwing a pass. He's caught eight passes in his career, and we're throwing a four-yard hit rollout to him on third and six against Clemson when we need a first down. You got eight other options on offense, and you go to Bridge Brooks to catch a pass in man in man coverage. Like what? I, I don't know what the play. I don't, I don't know what Chip Lindsey's doing at this point. We call a half-back toss on fourth and two from under center, and yes, JJ Jones missed a block. If he doesn't miss the block, Hampton probably picks it up. But it's just a I have so many complaints with the coaching staff, with the play calling, with the lack of subbing. Uh, and do we feel this way if we don't lose to Virginia and Georgia Tech? Probably not. If we're sitting here at 10 of 1 going to the state game, we're probably fine. But the fact that you lost you lost those two games, that can't be ignored. And it and then going for two and wasting a timeout to go for two. Uh, so many complaints from Saturday. Wait, how about the timeout that gave them the chance to drive down the field? The time. Called timeout, took a got a sack, second and eighteen with a minute fifteen to go, and we call a timeout. Like timeout, you, dang timeout. You just gave them a drop. You mentioned the K Clubnet play that he didn't get in the end zone. That play doesn't happen if we don't call that timeout. You're right, hundred percent. So, and yes, if Carolina doesn't fumble twice in the in the red zone, we're in the game Saturday night, and it's probably not a coaching problem anymore. But the coaches still made bad decisions. Why, in no scenario is that two point is that one point 
extra one point in the fourth quarter worth of timeout. And how mad would people have been if we go down, we score, we got that stop. If Drake goes down and scores on that drive to cut it to four, how mad you know be when you need that extra timeout to get another stop and go down to kick yeah. the field to win the game or tie the game? That timeout, if anything, you should have known you was going for two in that situation, have it ready. Or go for two from the seven if you want to, but don't waste the timeout. And it's just clock management. And then they didn't burn a timeout against Virginia on one play. Like, at the end of the half, I just don't understand why. There's so many frustrations. And then, uh, I don't know. And then going to state this week is just going to be even more frustrating. Honestly, I don't know how you feel about this, but I don't have any confidence in them winning that game. As bad as... As much as I hate to lose the state, I I have no faith in them winning that game. Number one, the defense is depleted. They're they're shot. They're they're done. Other than Cedric Gray, they can't tackle. They don't get any pressure on the quarterback. They they're not doing anything that would be tremendous. And then on the offensive side, the the offensive line is staring at Drake May while he's running around for his life. Hampton, I don't know how that guy is leading the nation and rushing behind that line. They. That guy should get every single award possible because if you look at that line, it's like Swiss cheese. And then you look at the receivers, and other than Tez Walker and Bryson Nesbitt, they told us how great Andre Green was going to be. Barely see him. Chris Culliver had a great play. It was a blowout, but it was still a great play. You mean to tell me we can't see what that kid's got? Chapman, speedy guy, can't get him. But Nate McCollum's taking up snaps. Like These are the things that got to give here. And Yes, when things are not going right, you try to fix them. But, you know, when things are going wrong and you continuously do the same things, it, it gets repetitive and you just can't trust them. It, it's kind of like last year, everybody gave Huber a hard time for never subbing and never trying anything different. Okay, well, this is the same situation. Mac is doing the same thing over and over and over. McCollum dropped an uncountable number of passes against Virginia and dropped some against Georgia Tech and stayed in the game. Dropped the game-winning touchdown pass against Duke. Like, he's continuously staying in the game, and we heard about how great and how game-changing he was going to be with him and Tez, and I just haven't seen it from Nate at this point. And I'd like to see some of the young guys get a chance. I mean, I'm I, in the offensive line, I, I said that last week on social media, got a lot of hate for it, that the offensive line was was doing just fine. There ain't no way you run for 1,300 yards without an offensive line. Look at Hampton's yards after the after contact. It is in and yeah, he seeks out contact, but he ain't seeking out contact miles two yards behind the line of scrimmage. Like he's getting hit in the backfield or having to make a play, or it's just and Drake didn't have a great game Saturday when you look at the numbers, but he was running for his life. Even the play that he made that NFL scouts are drooling over right now, the the touchdown to JJ Jones off his back foot, he was running for his life on that play. And he had to throw it off his back foot. So just the whole thing. And and I think next year we're gonna be in next year we're gonna be in for a rude awakening when uh when a lot of these guys step out and either go pro or uh hit the portal. Next year, I'm thinking about this bowl game that we're gonna have to torture ourselves through in a couple of weeks. Think about it. If you're Cedric Gray, you're out of here. See you later. I'm not playing in that bowl game. Power echoes. I'm probably out of here too. See you later. Huzzy's hurt. Drake May, if Drake May takes the field out of his loyalty for North Carolina, I personally will be so upset with him because I don't want him to get hurt. I, I don't know. They're going to have to force him not to play. I get that because he loves playing for Carolina and whatnot, but 
He's going to be a top five pick in the NFL draft. He might go in the top two. You got to sit out, buddy. That all these guys are going to be out. It's not going to be fun. I feel bad for Connor Connor Harrell. I really do. I just I just have no confidence. Like you say, going into this weekend, no confidence. The last two times we played state, we should have won both games. And I honestly think we. I, I think I sent you a stat or put it on Twitter about the winning percentage after November first, and it drops like twenty points. It's and incredible. It, and, and and that's just in the Matt Brown era, and it's like we're getting extremely tired, extremely fatigued. It's obvious you're losing you're losing more games after November first, and the state game two years ago, we had the lead, but we were up nine with two minutes with a minute thirty five to go. We were up nine, and state scores a sixty four yard touchdown, gets an onside kick, and then scores a twenty five yard touchdown with a minute left, and you lose thirty four thirty. And then last year, you got a double overtime against the pack with. Like, uh, what their third string quarterback last year? So, uh, like, I, I have no confidence going to Raleigh and an 8 p.m. game. They're trending up. They've won four in a row. Uh, if you have told me on October 15th after we beat Miami, we were six and zero, we'd be going in this game eight and three, and State be going in eight and three with a chance to be nine and three. I would have told you you're crazy. And instead, it's the exact opposite. This is exactly what's happening. And, uh, zero confidence for them to win this game. How they're a two-point favorite, I have no idea. It, it's just so mind-boggling because, truly, Mac Brown is not a bad coach. He is a legendary coach, national champion. And, and a lot of people are saying, you know what, it's time to go. But let's all remember that the program's in a lot better spot from when he first came back. You know, like, we're in a better place. The problem is we're not at that place we think we should be. And a lot of the frustration is the fact that Howell and Drake May were under center and we really didn't win much with them. Like to the point where you're like, okay, you know. Big Temple. Military uh, military bowl win over Temple. That's, let me get a shirt and a hat to celebrate, you know, like really make me proud. But again, it's it's just like is it recruiting? Is it not having enough depth? Is it not subbing? It, what is the issue? Like I, there's just not one thing that I can pinpoint. And for the people that are saying Mac Brown has to go, my my follow up and my rebuttal to that is who are you going to replace him with? There's no clear cut like superstar coach out there that's going to come in and just change the program like that. It's going to take time. And if you're gonna if you're expecting that. Like for a coach to come in and be like nine and oh next year, it's not gonna happen. Sony Dice did it. But again, it's a one in a million. It's not gonna it, it is. Here, here's where I'm at with the whole Mac has to, I love Mac. I'm you you hit the nail on the head. We're in a better place than we were when he came in. But after Fedora's five years, we were in just as good as a place. So what's the next two years look like if Mac stays? Are we back to two and nine and three and nine? Or does Matt start to rebuild? Because we just talked about you're losing a lot of guys to the portal or to the draft. Drake's gone. Tez is probably gone to the draft. Says gone. So you have a lot to replenish there. Max, getting up there in age, 71, 72, would, are you better to start over with? If you're going to do a fresh rebuild, would you rather start over with a younger coach? I'm not sure that's the answer or not. And, and nobody's trying to push Mac out the door, but – the fact that we're struggling with these great quarterbacks. I mean, Larry Fedora did just as much with Marquise Williams and Mitch Trubisky. And 
no knock on Quees or Mitch, but Drake and Sam are better quarterbacks and have been for the program. So you feel like you should have won more. The other frustrating part is losing those games that you shouldn't lose. You've lost seven games as double-digit favorites since 2020. So in three years, you've and two of them this year, Georgia Tech and Virginia, two games you felt like you had no chance to lose. And that's the frustrating part is the getting up for things like that. And since we're talking about Mac, he says on today in his press conference. Have you seen his press conference? No, but before you get to that point, I have one more thing to mention about the whole retirement talk. I hate, and with a capital H, I hate I know when they blame other coaches for saying that they're putting the retirement talk out there to shy away recruits. Let me tell you, these kids are not dummies. Their families are not dummies. Mac Brown's age is Mac Brown's age. They are going to know that whether a coach says it or not. If you're a high school senior or junior and you're looking at a program, you're thinking that 71-year-old coach might not be there for the three to four years I'm at the program. It is common sense. Common sense. So those kids are banking what they're hearing from Mac Brown directly, who is still kicking, who is still coaching, who still loves the program and is still heavily invested. What the others say shouldn't matter because you're expecting that these student athletes and their families see Mac Brown and say, he's 72 years old. He, his window might not be there, but we're picking a school because we want to go to the school. The coach is a part of that, but the coach should not be the full part of that. And that's my gripe on that. Well, that's not where I thought that was going. I thought that was going in the direction of, uh, people should read articles and not headlines. When well, we that too, work. but that, that could be like a whole day type of thing. <laughs> that's a whole day. That's a whole uh, day type of thing. That, that's a seminar. Just, just read the article. Don't just read a headline. Um, Click it but, and open it, read it. But with Mac, so you've not seen his press conference today. So um, Actually, I didn't watch it because you told me you didn't. I figured that you were going to have something great to tell me. So I was like, I yeah, can- I'm going to wait it out. I didn't watch it, but I read the quotes, which is more than I needed to. So it's hate, <laughs> it's hate week. Okay. We hate state. All right. He said he does not hate NC State or Duke. And that is just mind blowing to me. Coming from a fan base that we can't stand either one. It's hate week for a reason. It's rivalry week. Roy Williams always said he'd rather eat nails for breakfast then lose the state. And to say you don't hate state is just when you're the coach of Carolina and have been for a long time, this is a second tenure here to sit there. And and then you look over and Dave Dorn's like, all I care about is being UNC. Well, yeah, it's their Super Bowl. I, I get that. I just, that frustrates me. Okay. I, I'm going to sound like I'm defending Mac here. You're defending. I, I kind of, I kind of am, okay? Roy Williams is what he used to call people and still probably does, a tough little nut, okay? He is a fiery person. And he is somebody who will come out and he will say things like that, that he hates NC State and he hates Duke, and that's in his blood. You know, he's Carolina Blue. If you cut his arm open, it would bleed blue. Mac Brown is probably one of the top 10 nicest people in the world in terms of 
how he is. And it, it's genuine. It, it's just how he is. I just think that genuinely on a field, he he hates them. He wants to beat them. He understands the rivalry of it. But when they're not competing against each other, he's so mellow. It's just like, you know what? I, I really don't care. Like personally, personally, I don't, unless we're playing NC state, I could care less about them. They, they, they don't bother me. Their fans bother me on Twitter, but they don't bother me. It's just like, they're there. Like I, I hate Duke. I, I can't lie, but NC state, I'm just like, oh, well, yeah, they're he there. Said, he says, I like the coaches. I love the kids. I love the way the kids play. He basically says he's, he's like, I've grown up with, I've played Brennan. This is the fourth time we're playing Brennan Armstrong. He's like, I've grown up with Brennan here. I just, I want the world Williams type aspect as a coach. I want somebody that's fiery. I want somebody that's ready to go. It doesn't matter who the opponent is, but even more so, it should be elevated to play Duke or State. And and Matt puts an emphasis on winning rivalry games, but he does it for the fans, not from the standpoint of being a coach, I guess. Well, I think that he does it in a different way than we're used to seeing. With the media and everything today, we see a lot of coaches go to the media and do that, but I think he does that behind the scenes. And I guess him saying this now, hindsight 2020, is probably why Drake May had to issue an apology last year. Yeah, because you know what? You don't want to be Mac Brown. Which I still don't agree with. Yeah, but you don't want to be you don't want to be Mac Brown and, and say things about NC State, how much you hate them and how all this stuff. And then you lose on Saturday night, and then all that comes back to haunt you. Like you gotta watch what you say too. And I think Mac is is a trained professional, especially remember he was working at ESPN, so there's a lot of uh media training with that guy. That that's fair. But he's not beat State a lot either. I mean, at least not recently. They've won five out of seven. So yeah, and, and I think he's got the fire. I think he's got that fire. I just think it's that he hasn't shown to the media. Yeah, yeah. When he goes in that locker room, it's different. It. I wanted to say it. Um, Tweet him and ask him. I'm that, sure he'll answer and he'll tell you. I that, love NC State. <laughs> that part just bothered me a little bit. I was uh, I was a little frustrated. I, I wanted just with everything else that's going on. And you have no like I mean we've already seen the mental mistakes from the past weekend and and the and the whole season. Just give me some fire at this point. Um, but it is what it is. On the state, uh, we won't cover them too much. We know who they are. We they're on the rise. Tough defense. Peyton Wilson's last game in Raleigh is probably Drake's last May as a tar, Drake May's last game as a Tar Heel. Uh, May's last May as a Tar Heel. Yeah, May's last May. Uh, Drake May's last game as a Tar Heel. Um, you got any predictions for Saturday night before we move on to basketball? It kills me to say this. I, I don't think we win this one. <laughs> I'm not even gonna say I'm not gonna say anything else. I don't think you we win score? this one. You got score? I'm not even gonna give you that. I don't even think we win this one. I uh, hope I'm wrong. I can't I, I can't buy in again. I I can't. I'm with you. I, I don't uh I, I'm not buying into this weekend. I, I don't think we win. I, I just don't see it. In Raleigh, 8 p.m. night game, senior night for them. They're on the rise. We're stumbling to the finish line again. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think – I think we're going to – I think we might be up at half, but I think the defense folds in the fourth quarter and, and the fatigue issues continue. Um, I'm going to go something like 28-20 or 28-24, Wolfpack. Listen, I just hope that I've had enough turkey at that point to sleep. Well, the good news is Carolina basketball plays this weekend in in Atlantis. So we got the three battle games. for Atlantis. So we got three games before then. So 
Maybe maybe Carolina's won the battle for the last championship, six and zero going into the SEC Challenge, and and we don't have to. And and it doesn't matter what what football does Saturday night at that point. <laughs> Listen, if they win the battle for Atlantis, can I get a T-shirt? You were saying for the military bowl, you know, I might as well. Uh, I mean, that's basically the it's equivalent. Sure. Pretty much. But anyway, the, the men are going to play Northern Iowa in the first round. They're projected. They'll play either for uh, Villanova or Texas Tech in round two. What's your take on the battle for Atlantis? And do you think the Tar Heels can actually win this? Yes. They're, I, I don't. I think we should be disappointed if we don't come out here 3-0. Um, looking at other teams in the bracket, my original preseason thought was we'd go 2-1 with probably a loss to Arkansas. But watching Arkansas play last week against UNC Greensboro, they give them problems. Watching Villanova struggle against Penn, who they lost to, uh, and Arkansas lost to UNCG as well. I I think Carolina's the best team in this bracket, and I think Carolina should come out here 3-0 and uh, playing their best playing better than they have been. Uh, I think you'll see some – you might see some growing spurt, growing pains and things like that still. I mean, three games in three days isn't easy. But I think that depth that we've been talking about will play a huge factor in Carolina coming out here 3 now. The game that scares me the most is the opener. That's fair. The game that scares me the most is the opener, and here's why. Number one, Northern Iowa comes in there one and two. They're very well coached. Ben Jacobson's been there for quite some time. They have one player who leads them in points, rebounds, assists, steals, and blocks. That's Nate Heiss. He's a six foot five guard. Now, this obviously Carolina has more talent, but those well coached teams do scare me and they have depth. They're going to give Carolina a run. And that game is going to dictate how the rest of the tournament goes because. Hubert Davis is going to have to use the bench. You're going to have to use the depth in order to win this. You're not going to play three games in three days and expect Armando Bacon, RJ Davis to play 35 a night. It's not going to happen, but they're going to need somebody else to step up. And Cormac Ryan scares me right now. He hasn't been shooting the ball. Well, Paxton Wojcik hasn't really given them much offensively. Can Seth Trimble keep up that 10 to 11 points a game like he did in their last game, but Jalen Washington, the same. I don't know. They're going to need scoring from somewhere else other than the big three of Ingram, Baycott, and Davis. Now, do I think that they could win this? Yes, I think they're the best team in this field. But I do think it's going to be a big challenge. We're going to learn a lot about this team over the next week. Yeah, I think uh, over the next week and then over the next month, you'll find out who this team really is. And uh, Cormac Ryan will be huge this week. Uh, he'll probably – uh, be on Northern Iowa's best player. And then I, I expect some Harrison Ingram switch as well there with Ingram's size and versatility. Um, but the fact that uh, against UC Riverside played uh, 10 guys in double-figure minutes, uh, I think that helps a lot when you're talking about playing three games in three days. Um, and I haven't looked at all the other teams in detail as far as Villanova or Arkansas. I don't know if they have anything close to that depth. Um but I would imagine that Carolina is probably the most talented team in this field. Hey, don't count on Texas Tech. We'll have a rematch with Kerwin Walden. Walden. Yeah, buddy. People forget about him. But, again, we both think that they should win this tournament. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out the three games in three days. And transitioning to the women, the men are in the Bahamas. The women are in Florida. But it's a crime, an absolute crime, that the Gulf Coast Showcase will not be televised. You have to pay $30, 
for flow. What is it? Flow basketball. Flow hoops. Flow flow, flow hoops. Thirty dollars for flow hoops. And for the remember month. the last time for the month. Yeah, I know for the month. Wait, but now let me ask. But now let me ask you something. Does that month does it reset in December? Like if I bought it tomorrow, does it count for the it's, from when I buy it for a month? It shouldn't. It should be like a twenty-eight day cycle. But the fact that we even have to worry about this is insane. And it's not just the uh, Gulf Coast Showcase. It's all these all the women's basketball feast week tournaments, essentially uh, the Cayman Islands Classic, all the big games involving top twenty-five matchups. Is on flow hoops, and they won't sit there and talk about, oh, we're trying to grow the game and grow college women's college basketball. How are you trying to grow the game by making people pay for, pay to watch? Like, you're not making people pay to watch the Maui Invitational or the men's battle for Atlantis. So the fact we don't have to worry about buying, paying 30 bucks to watch is, is absurd. But it's a great test for Courtney Banghart's team. They might end up seeing two top 25 teams. They have a chance to play Kansas State who's 16 in the polls. And then if they get to the finals, hopefully they'll play number five, Iowa, which is a big test in itself because of Caitlin Clark. Yeah. Kansas state just jumped into the top 25 from being unranked after knocking off uh number two, Iowa at the time. And uh, they, they con- contained uh Caitlin Clark pretty well and held her under 30 points, which not a lot of teams do. And uh, that's the key to being them. And so, uh, Carolina has a challenge ahead. They got Vermont first, uh, who I believe was an NCAA tournament team last year. I believe so. Uh, and I think they I think they returned some experience. And so that'll be a good opener. And then moving on to Kansas State, and then, like you said, potentially Iowa. Be at sign time in, in the Gulf Coast uh, showcase. Yeah, and the women keep dropping in the polls. They went from 16 to 17 and 17 to 18. And you brought up a good point. And I was a little furious about it because you know I'm a – Courtney Banghart. This is something that's bothered me two weeks. It has bothered me because, yes, we haven't had a dominant win. We've won a couple of games by 20 or 30, but we haven't had that real, like, okay, everybody gelled together, everybody clicked, like we blew out this team. And I think that two things come from that. Number one, people don't respect who Carolina has played. Davidson beat Duke. Davidson won two ACC games. They're no fluke. Like, them, them giving us a game is not a surprise. They're a good basketball team. But the best way to jump up the rankings is to beat ranked teams. And if you handle business this week and you play the two of them and you win this tournament, you'll you'll move up in the rankings and you'll let that take care of themselves. Listen, I know they're not worried about the rankings. That's for you and me to talk about. But, again, it does bother me. Uh, I've said it all year with football is the rankings are for the fans, not the coaches or players. And uh, the same thing holds true here. It's something fun to talk about. This is a good opportunity for somebody like you that's worried about the rankings, they win these two games or win these three games this week, they're likely jumping to the top 10. You beat Kansas State and Iowa, who are two top 16 teams, you're going to go to the top 10. And uh, not only that, I think the bigger picture here is talking about NCAA tournament resume building wins. And for a team that wants to host a game in Carmichael in the NCAA tournament for the, that first weekend, these are two games that you can really point to and say those two games are resume building wins that can say, Hey, we're gonna be a top four seed. And not only that, they can help you develop and progress and jail for ACC tournament or ACC play to get you that number one seed in the ACC tournament as well. So um this is a great test, and it and it's a great test heading into a really tough stretch for the Tar Heels here, where 
play number 16 Kansas State potentially, play number potentially number five Iowa, and then you come home and play uh, number one ranked South Carolina, who I think has a better team this year than, than they did last year. So Courtney Bayhart's squad is facing to get a challenge, and I think similar to the men, we're going to find out a lot about them really quick, who they are and who they can be uh, over the next week and over the next month. So uh, it's exciting times uh, on the hardwood for both the men and the women. Yeah, definitely. And you know what that means, that next week when we have our show, there's going to be a lot to talk about because we're going to have a lot of basketball. We're going to have a lot of football because obviously we can rant on for days about Carolina football. And then you can't forget soccer. They're still alive and well. But, you know, the the main thing here is obviously it's Thanksgiving week. And on behalf of Jordan and myself, I would like to thank everybody for tuning into the Talking Hills podcast. We're a new show, but Ever since we started, we've gotten so much positive feedback from it. And we just love talking Carolina sports and being able to share it with you guys. So, again, during the Thanksgiving time where you're really thinking of all the things you're thankful for, we're thankful for you. And we're thankful for Carolina Athletics. And I think that we could both agree. We're thankful for Erin Matson because she's the GOAT. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you hit all of it on the head there. So, it's something uh, – we wanted to do for a long time. We've got this thing started and we appreciate all the feedback and we could talk for two or three hours, but we know you don't have that long to listen to us uh, ramble uh, about Carolina athletics. So we try to keep it under an hour, but uh, it's a great time to be a Tar Heel. Field uh, Hockey National Championship, women and men's soccer playing in the NCAA tournament, beast week for basketball. Uh, and they come home and uh, play uh, Tennessee, who's in the Maui Invitational. If you want to check them out this week, uh, they play number two Purdue tomorrow night. Uh, so uh, a lot of stuff going on in Carolina athletics at the moment. So it's a great time to be a Tar Heel. And we're thankful for all those things around us. Absolutely. And if you want to watch our show, check out our YouTube page. If not, Find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Make sure you follow us on X at Talking Heels. Send us your comments. Send us your questions. We'll share them on our show as time goes on. And, of course, you know, we know you guys like to talk some Tar Heels. We do as well. We'll give you our feedback and our insight as to whatever it may be on your head. Just please don't tell me go state or go that other school from Durham. Like, that's that's kind of where the line draws there. You hate them, right? Yes, I do. I, I do. I, I don't like them. I don't even want to say that name. They make me want to puke. Send, send us uh, – and you can also send us your – if you have any questions for us, you want us to talk about some stuff, tweet us at Talking Hills on Twitter or X. And we're going to have some live shows coming up. We're going to work out the logistics of that. So we'll let you know when that is. So make sure you tune in for those. But as always, that guy to the right now, he was at the bottom of the beginning of the show. That's Jordan Foles. I'm Nick Delahanty. Enjoy your Thanksgiving break. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. And as always, go Heels. Go Heels.